new era in independent art celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is there, Poindexter. It is four counts of indecent exposure. Today is Friday, September 11th, 2015. I'm your host, Jason Velasquez, and I do thank you for tuning into this episode of Indecent Exposure here at the Greylock Glass, greylockglass.com. You know, if nothing else, we are responsive to our listeners' needs here at the Greylock Glass. And after listening to a lot of your suggestions, some of them rather pointed and blunt, and we appreciate that. Uh, we, we've we discovered that a lot of folks seem to like um, just one subject, one main subject per show. And that wasn't what I had in mind originally. My my idea was to have, you know, sort of a, more of a variety of things on, on the show. But then um, I realized something that, uh, that didn't occur to me. Uh, we could have as many episodes as we want. There's nobody stopping us from saying, okay, well, we'll have, um, you know, uh, three times a week, shorter episodes, one subject a piece. That way, if somebody's really into, oh, I don't know, um, independent film and not so much into performance art, then they can decide to download in, uh, the, you know, Indecent Exposure that deals with film. And maybe catch up on the performance art piece when they have time. So that's um, that's something that I think we're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna give that a try, and and see how it goes. And let us know what you think uh, if that works for you. Um, it'll mean shorter shows probably, which may be more digestible uh, for those of you who say listen uh, on your way into work. Maybe you've got a twenty minute drive or a half an hour drive, and it's perfect uh, for that. So that might be. That might be an ideal uh, uh, compromise. More shows, uh, concentrated subjects. And with that, let's transition into this week's topic. Uh, we spoke with Stephanie Linksweber, and she got us really pumped up to see her Creatures of Habitat, uh, the physical poetry public performance project uh, entitled The Magic is in the Mechanism, which will appear Sunday evening, September 13th, between 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. at the Morningside Community School in Pittsfield. Now, Stephanie is a fascinating person to talk to. She's got such a range of experiences that have gone into uh, into her work and these experiences really enrich it and, and, and give it zing. So um, I think you're going to really enjoy this interview because she she definitely wets your whistle for, for some some cutting edge uh, performance. Let's uh, let's talk now with Stephanie Weber um, about the, the the work that's coming up this Sunday. Stephanie Weber, it is so good to have you here on the Greylock Glass. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing okay. It's good to be here. Well, I can tell you that uh, we probably have set a record for the longest uh, kickback time in the green room, the virtual green room, green room here at the Greylock Glass. Uh, and I think that's because it's uh, we're, we're recording this on Sunday morning, and Sunday mornings are just they're just a slower kind of time, right? Yeah, things are just yeah. sort of slower and, and sluggish, and, and nobody's in a big hurry to do anything. Um, as we we came up with a, a title for you, um, you are the uh, artistic conceptual engineer uh, for the magic is in the mechanism, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is an incredibly ambitious uh, project that uh, we want to we want to get into. But first, I want to ask you a little bit about um, about your background. You uh, you said that uh, earlier that you, uh, you you were born and raised in Pittsfield. Yes, and you 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 did some traveling around after that. Now, did you go to school and did you go to college in Pittsfield, or did did you leave to uh, to other climbs? Well, I received my my undergraduate degree from UMass Amherst. Um, so I and I attended a, a few other schools. I attended uh, an all female college, Elms College. It was all female at the time, 
in Chicopee. And then I also attended um, Berkshire Community College for a year, which is where I became sort of went through this 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 part of my life where I realized that I wanted to do work that had to do with the environment. And um, so I sort of, uh, that's when I became involved in environmental sciences and I received a scholarship to transfer to UMass to continue my study in environmental sciences. And that's what I ended up studying at that time. Although throughout that whole time, I was also still studying dance. So, Dance is something that you've been doing for, for how long? I mean, I started my formal training when I was three. <laughs> um, and I started in Pittsfield at Tripsickery Dance Center. And that was pretty much my home away from home for most of my life until I was about 17. So, Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you went uh, as far away as Amherst uh, uh, for a while there. Uh, but <laughs> as we found out, though, in, uh, in our talk over over uh, tea and, and biscuits here. Um, we've got something in common. Uh, we've got a, a Knox, a Tennessee connection. I was in Knoxville and, and you were doing some work not too, too far away in 10 Mile. Well, tell yeah. us about that. I was working for an environmental education program that was uh, a nature-based program out in the woods and, and on, the, on, the, on the little sort of crook of the 10, the 10 Mile, or the Tennessee River in 10 Mile, which was just kind of right across the water from um, the 10 mile um, nuclear power facility. Um, yeah. Now, of course, a lot of people still don't know. They didn't know at the time, but Tennessee was the home to the, to the Manhattan project. Uh, oh, that right. was in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Have you been to Oak Ridge? <laughs> yeah, I, have, I, I had good friends in Oak Ridge. I have. I've. Um. I've actually been swimming in some of the lakes in Oak Ridge, and people joke about uh, catching, you know, fish with two and three heads. And I don't know if they if they were really joking or not, um, because you know you have to figure what we didn't know about radiation at the time probably could fill an encyclopedia and. Uh, I, I've always guessed that there's probably, you know, 55 gallon drums of toxic stuff ba- you know, buried all over the place. Um, but, uh, you know, I have friends and they all seemed, you know, reasonably normal. Uh, <laughs> people also don't know that uh, for a long time, Oak Ridge had the highest concentration of PhDs anywhere on the, pl- on the planet. That was from about 1942 to about 1955. Uh, so there was an incredible amount of brain power there working on atomic, and, and they're still there. I mean, they're still Oak Ridge National Laboratories. Uh, they're still doing research. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting place. I, I had my teeth cleaned in Oak Ridge. <laughs> probably. And driving through there was just like, wow. It was, you know, it had that feeling of there's just roads that don't go anywhere. You know, there's roads that stop and there's signs that say you can't go any further. Yeah. And it's like, wow, what's going on here? And it's interesting because, you know, with the magic is in the mechanism, actually, you know, part of the photography that is in the piece are are some of those sites in Pittsfield that General Electric has sort of left behind or those places, those little those little pieces of parcel that you don't really ever get to step inside of an experience because, you know, General Dynamics or General Electric owns them or has owned them over the years. And you know, so there's a lot of photography of those areas. And it kind of reminds me of that, those days of me driving through Oak Ridge and just being like, wow, what's going on here? What's going on here? Detours of reality. Yeah, it's Uh, interesting. uh, Well, let's, let's talk about the magic is in the mechanism. Um, First, give us an overview. Um, Well, the work is something that's come out of uh, another body of work called Automobile Body Works that um, I started working on in, I think I started working on it in maybe 2011 and really kind of, um, you know, really kind of brought, started to bring it to life like in 2012. And, and then um, last year kind of culminated in a series of different of um, scenes together into a, a bit of a tour that we took around. And um, that piece was um, work that was done in, the four different locations with a vehicle and four performers um, dressed in uh, various um, sculptural regalia, I call it, sort of um, sculptural pieces that the performers wear to change the perception of the performer. 
vis- you know, visually. And um, we did a lot of interacting with my vehicle. And, and then there was also projection that would be projected from the car um, onto very large building spaces, um, building walls, parking lot walls, car wash walls. We performed in car wash bays and parking garages and industrial parking lots and stuff like that. So it's come out of that work. Okay. Well, what um, sorts of themes were you exploring with uh, with your with these projections and and with the the choices of, of locations? Um, intimacy was a was a theme at that time, and um, probably is in a way kind of always is a little bit of a theme in my work. Um, also, uh, auto bodies, um, this sort of the idea of you know the projections were were female body um in a very limited view so you would only see one part of the female body for the whole entire time moving in a very subtle way or in a very bold way um but that was the only that would be the only part of the body you would see and so it would kind of change the idea was to change your perception of the body of that part of the body, that part of the female body. So you would have to look at the body a little differently. And then working with the live, with the vehicles, that was also about a, a body. You know, this this sort of, I mean, there's so many themes that, that could come out of this. It's hard to kind of generalize. But, um, you know, the way that in a, a car is uh, thought of as a body, um, the way a, a car is interacted with as a body, um, and how another body would interact with that and what would come out of it if, if a human and a car were to combine and become, uh, you know, of the same body. So, you know, lots of different sort of plays with like the idea of skin, you know, putting fabric over the car is something I'm really, really interested in and, um, changing the shape of the vehicle in a really soft way and then showing, um, the, the vulnerability of something that seems so hard. And then when you see the, the projections of the female body, you see the vulnerability, but yet the strength in that as well. So there, there's a lot of, um, and, and if you caught me on a different day, I might, I might say something different, <laughs> but that's what's coming up today. And then also, you know, um, going to different locations throughout a town was really important to me. I, I had decided um, like in 2011, I, I was working on another performance piece that I kind of was finishing at that time. And we did the performance on stage and it felt just like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do my work on stage. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, the kind of feedback that I would get from the audience when I would do my work on stage was so strange to me and so far away from what I felt I wanted to give to an audience and I decided, okay, I I really want to just do my work out in the public in places where that are interesting to me and places where people could stumble upon it or they might never associate that place with something like that happening. So, and, and that it could be available to people who otherwise are never going to go into a theater and watch a performance, you know? Um, So that's when I started with the car washes And, you know, at the time, the car wash space was just like, it was like a black box theater. You know, you go in there at night, the lights on, it's a box, you can do whatever you want in there. I mean, you know, until somebody kicks you out. Right. You know, and so I did, I started exploring different car wash bays and getting kicked out of places. And, and then I fell in love with a parking garage, a couple different parking garages and the space there. So it was also very space oriented. It was like I'd walk into a space, I'd drive into a space and I'd be like, wow, this is a cool space. I can imagine, I can imagine a world here, you know, and and I'd like to try to bring that to life or even bring to the surface what I already felt was there that nobody could see, you know? So yeah, it was definitely space specific in that way. I would say it sounds it sounds to me like you have you've spent a little time thinking about you know the interaction between you know location and and subject the, you know and and the idea that you know the the stage you're you're making a statement about 
the subject when you put it on the stage. And right. that might not be the best way for the audience to, to absorb the message or the, or the performance. You, you talk a little bit about bodies and, and the vulnerability and strength, uh, you know, the vulnerability of steel uh, and the strength of flesh, um, especially when you're talking about the strength of, of women. You, um, you had mentioned earlier uh, before we were on mic that, um, that you had sort of found your you know, sort of a, a gravitation toward uh, environmental feminism a bit earlier. Tell me something about that. What, what, what awakened that, uh, that call? Um, well, that, that was awakened in me um, around the time when I had a surgery um, for an illness called endometriosis. And I started, um, you know, I had been diagnosed with endometriosis as a teenager, but I didn't, didn't have um, surgery for it until I was in my 20s. And it was, you know, it's a very debilitating illness. It, it takes up a lot of time and space in your life and your consciousness. And um, at the time, I think, you know, it was right after September 11th. And there was just a lot of stuff going on. There was a, a lot of, you know, energy, you know, in the ethers around, you know, going deeper into, you know, what, what are we doing, you know? And I think, you know, being close to, you know, some things that happened, you know, as September 11th, I think that took me to a much, much more introverted place and uh, made me kind of ask some deeper questions of myself and, and my experience as a human. And what came out was my experience as a, as a female, as a woman, um, as biologically female and what, how that related to what I saw happening in in my world and the world around me, and and that was when I began uh, a piece called Indicator Species, which is where I was sort of exploring this concept of um, the female body being an indicator for the health of of its environment of the of the human and Earth environment, and. Um, and a, a series of characters just sort of evolved out of that idea. And then a whole sort of, you know, body of, at the time, what I began calling physical poetry, um, different poems that were done in physical form with costume and sound and, you know, um, dance and movement and collaboration. And so it, it really came out of, out of that experience of tracing the lines of the illness, tracing you know, tracing them historically, tracing them psychologically, tracing them socially, and um, just finding such a wealth of of, of information um, that was just there to feed the artistic process. Hmm. So, the I, I really enjoy. I hadn't considered that notion i'd love to hear more about that one day and if you ever bring that show back i'd love to see that um i don't know if i could bring that show back <laughs> that was we did it in in pleasant valley wildlife sanctuary in a barn we transformed this barn into like like uh i don't know how we would even do that again <laughs> well uh, you know it could be it could be a, some version or it could be a part part two maybe well you know that. i had to clean my studio out this this summer um and i had to I have all these parts and pieces from indicator species in there. And I was like, wow, Oh, I could, you know, I could actually make newer stuff with the old stuff that I guess I'm more interested in that. Like, sure. What is this? You know, these, these, I had this whole casting of my body done and now I have this whole idea how I want to use that piece from indicator species in the magic is in the mechanism and how I, f I can find this correlation there in the work. Well, it's, I think it's 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 a unique it's a unique connection. Um, you know the the anyone who has had a uh, an intimate relationship with with a, a breast cancer survivor knows that there is a changed perception of of the female form of some of the you know the expectations of strength and of vulnerability. And it is now known, for example, that uh, that mammary glands are really great sponges that suck up toxins in the environment. 
Mm. And um, and you can actually determine how much exposure you've had to uh, to toxins by you know testing in in the milk in breast milk. Wow! Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. in fact, while it is the case that you know breastfeeding is one of the health healthiest ways that you can feed your baby, certainly more so than you know uh, a formula that's loaded up with corn syrup and soy. <laughs> right. um, but that is not the case if, for example, you have been exposed, if the woman has been exposed to um, a lot of toxins which gather and accumulate in, right, yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the memory gland. So um, as an indicator species, it's it's kind of frightening um, that mm-hmm. we are seeing this, this effect on the female body um, that is a direct direct connection to how we're treating the environment um and your your use of your use of um the 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 female body as an indicator species representative is is fascinating Mm. you said you know when you go through experience like that it brings out your idea of your vulnerability and maybe the fragility of life and things like that but it also brings you to your the understanding of power because you know i i feel that I've become I've become more aware of power structures around me and inside of me and and all those roles of power structures you know like with the healthcare system with you know different you know corporations and you know I'm a GE kid my my dad worked for GE and he was a transformer builder you know he he was you know up to his elbows in PCBs and you know so I, I I'm aware of that that power structure of of how General Electric had this power over, you know, over Pittsfield and then, you know, um, for a while over like, you know, maybe like the planet, you know, and, and how that power structure had such a, an enormous effect on, on everybody's psyche. And, and it's, just, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's not just the vulnerability that you become aware of and all those other things, but you become aware of the power structure. My father was, uh, worked in the wire division for GE, uh, making, making wire and cable. Uh, so, mm-hmm. and that was in Bridgeport. So yeah, they did, they had a very far reaching and, and still yeah. do have very mm-hmm. far reaching uh, uh, tentacles. Um, and Pittsfield in particular mm-hmm. has a legacy that will last a long, long time um, because there was a lot, there, there was a lot of cleanup to be done and uh, maybe even still a yeah. lot of cleanup to be done. Talk to me about why you chose um, this uh, in in the magic is in the mechanism. Uh, you've got some projections of archival blueprints uh, from the research and development uh, of the Visionary Lightning Laboratory uh, from the dawn of the the GE uh, presence in Pittsfield. What what was the choice? What what went into that choice? Well, you know. Um doing some of the photography that's in the piece, as I had mentioned, were some of the sites that we had could get access to um, some of the former sites and some of the sites that are still available. And then of course, standing around like, you know, with Monica Pitzkemi, the photographer and feeling, you know, the space there made me more curious about, well, how did this get here? You know, and, 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 and not, you know, uh, wanting to understand the, wanting to find the magic, you know, wanting to find what is the, the spark that made this what it is. And, um, and so I literally, the spark was a spark. It was lightning, you know? And when I found that out by doing some research, I was totally fascinated. I, I never knew that, that Pittsfield was the site of, uh, as far as I know, one of the first lightning laboratories in the country and, you know, in the site of, you know, a place where there was some, you know, real, you know, I guess I would say creative research being done um, to try to discover, you know, electricity, basically, how to, how to harness this. And, you know, unfortunately, later it became how to make a million dollars off of it, but how to harness this. And so the, the, the beginning of that to me was interesting, that spark, what was the good, what was the magic in that? And so it was going back to look at what were the sketches, you know, you go back and you, maybe you're studying a famous piece of, uh, of painting artwork by somebody who's very well known and, you know, somewhere down the road, they might have 
you know, they might have an exhibit of their sketches, you know, of, of the pieces that they did to get to that piece. And that's always such a fascinating thing to me. Sometimes it's almost even more interesting to seeing the finished product of like, what is it that brought them to that place? And you can start to understand their thinking. And then you can start to understand that there was intuition involved in that. And getting to that core that there was maybe some sort of intuition involved in the creation of something, in a way, as corny as it might sound, it gives me a little bit of hope. So when I'm standing in a situation that feels sort of hopeless, which is, you know, there, which there's a lot of those around, especially when you're spending time in places like Nairobi and Detroit, um, it does kind of also make you want to, it makes you kind of wonder, what is, where's, where's the light in this? And so for right now, for the moment, the light in it was going back and figuring out what was the spark that made this, you know, that made this alive and that gave it life. And so the lightning laboratory, the, the drawings and the sketches and the math, all the math that was done um, and all the, those blueprints. And then, uh, you know, ultimately became, you know, the Tyler Street area was, was that whole area, the, the architecture of that area, the, the, um, the, the use of the syntax of the space of that area all drew out from that. And now, you know, and now it's all sort of packed away or it's somehow being transformed, or it's just big lots that are empty with nothing but grass growing, you know? So I think that that's what drew me into, and I wanted to exhibit those images. I wanted to find a way to utilize them, you know, in a performative way. Now, you discuss, um, or you, you talk about the soul of industrial mythology that you're going to try and you're going to try and summon the tribal soul of industrial mythology. And it's kind of interesting that you, you've got this, you're drawn to the, to the spark of the lightning laboratory, because anytime you're looking for a Genesis story, uh, it doesn't matter really what, what culture there's always some element of spark uh, in the creation stories Right, the creation myths, right. Mm -hmm. and, and there's this notion of, of a spark and the idea that there is, if not a separate, a distinct set of creation stories that do, uh, that do surround our industrial heritage, our industrial legacy, uh, which would be much different. In, in, another, in another place uh, but here we are in this post-industrial era in, in New England mm -hmm. and those myths um, really helped form our communities our families, our everything oh yeah mm -hmm. so this Creatures of Habitat physical poetry, public performance project, what, what are people going to experience? I mean, what, what are they going to feel? What are they going to see? Well, what they're going to experience for this is this is going to be an open rehearsal performance lab format, which means that it's not going to be a, a finished performance that people are going to come and buy a ticket and see a show. Um, this is something they're going to come to. They could they can bring a lawn chair. They can bring a blanket. They can hang out. They can stay for a little while. They can leave if they want. They can come and go. And what they're going to see is they're going to see us working out three sections um, parts one, two, and three of the magic is in the mechanism, this, this performance idea. Um, the first section includes interaction with uh, a vehicle and um, costumed characters um, with origami cars, um, which were made by Alison Rizal, uh, an origami and paper artist. Um, the second part is, again, the same four characters that are interacting with the vehicle, but this time they're interacting with it with a different kind of skin, a different kind of fabric skin with a, a different sort of um, quality of movement. And then the third part happens in the back of a 17-foot U-Haul um, truck which is um, the performers enter the truck and they're working with, again, a different quality of movement, different sculptural regalia, different costuming and characterizing. And this in the back of the truck is where the projection is happening. 
um, from the projector, which is outside. And, and all of this is happening um, to music by an artist, um, Thomas White, um, in the UK, um, who has given me permission to utilize his music for the past three years um, in the creation of automobile body works and for the magic is in the mechanism. So it has a, a bit of a cohesion um, sonically, I suppose, as well. So you'll be projecting the photography of Monica Pizzichemi. Um, who else is involved? What other what other artists should we should we we'll be looking for? So Allison Rizel, as I had mentioned, does the some of the origami paper folding that we've were some of the props that we're using. Um, and then the performers for this evening are going to be um, Antoinette Sims, um, Shira Lynn, and Haley Kirchner. And this is kind of a new a new cast for me, so it's been interesting to see how we all work together. How did how did you uh, hook up with them? Um, well, my former some of my former cast members um, helped me to find other people, and then. Um, Shira Lynn, who has been performing with me since the beginning of Automobile Body Works, and we were in another company before that together. So we've been performing together for quite a while. And Haley Kirchner is, uh, she's a high school student at Pittsfield High School and a dancer and just a very curious young woman. It's been great working with her. And Antoinette Sims is, uh, I'm not, I don't know her whole performance background, but she's also a performer and a yoga teacher um, she's a very body kind of person, you know, she's very much in her body and, uh, yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll be great to see the, uh, the interaction of, of such, uh, talented individuals who've got such movement. I mean, probably, uh, years of movement experience between them of different kinds. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. Which is what I like. I, I don't, I don't want a dance company. I want people who know how to be in their bodies and then know how to, and have a presence with that, that they can sort of, it's magnetic to the audience. So putting it all together, the, the movement, the sounds, the, the images, what do you hope uh, the audience is going to feel in this performance? I think some people are going to feel um, that some of it is whimsical. And I think some people are going to feel that some of it is a little sci-fi. Um, and some people are going to feel that, um, that it's very visually interesting. Um, and some people are probably going to be very confused. <laughs> you know, like, what is going on here? What is this? Um, I do think that this piece is fun to watch, which has not always been the case for all of my work. Um, some of my work has been very difficult to watch and has made people very uncomfortable. Um, and I do think that this piece is, is, is fun to watch. I don't think it's challenging people in, at least not at this point yet in the way that maybe some of my other work has. Um, it's a little bit more, yeah, it's a little bit more whimsical, and, but there is a depth to the concepts and to the analogies. And I think that there are people who are, my hope is that people are going to feel that depth inside of them and it'll, they'll, they'll take it away. And also being in the space is part of it too. You're experiencing this happening in a space that, you know, already has a number of associations, right? So you're taking that all of your associations with that space, that's all affecting you, you know, uh, subliminally or in the background. So, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background and I'm trying to layer the background so that at some point later on you go, Oh, wow. I, I realize now that I, I, I saw this or I saw that, or it reminded me of this. Um, I, I like it when my work can be uh, more holographic and people can look through it and then sort of step back and pull their head back and go, Oh wait, I see that now. So I'm hoping that they're going to have a little bit of that too. Hmm. Now the space, how, because this is not a traditional venue, um, how many people could actually be there? Uh, is there any set number? Or is there any maximum number of people? Oh gosh, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good sized parking lot. It's definitely not the biggest parking lot okay. around. Um, well, you know, all of the tens of thousands of listeners that we have, I don't want to <laughs> send them all on the same, you know, 
Right. Yeah. Um, they might have to park far away and walk. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's not a huge parking lot, but I think there's going to be plenty of space. Now, you, um, we talked a little bit, this, this is going on September 13th, right? Mm-hmm. Next Sunday evening. Next Sunday evening. So a week from now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a week from when we recorded this, I should right. remind, <laughs> to remind people, this, this is probably going to go up on maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Um, unless I just get really ambitious and decide, you know what? This is going to go up now. It's going to go up right now, people. <laughs> um, but there are a few other things that that you've got going on there. And uh, there's so much that we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about your experiences in Nairobi. We could talk about your, your work in Detroit. Um, and I wonder if we should we should maybe make a, 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 a point of doing that because you've got uh, They Dance for Rain coming up in October. Is yes. that right? Why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about They Dance for Rain? Uh, they Dance for Rain is a, a dance-making project that um, I started in 2012. I bring tap shoes and tap dancing to um, professional contemporary dancers, to street kids and slum dwellers and um, – in the, you know, in an urban environment of, of Nairobi. And, um, I also bring hoops and do hoop dance, but the project has predominantly been about tap dance. Um, and, and then the second year that I went, I traveled with, uh, my collaborating photographer, Monica Pizzakemi, who, um, you know, is also an artist and we've done a lot of projects together over the years and she's been documenting the project in a beautiful and artful way. And, um, we've had exhibits, we've done all kinds of presentations and, um, we're preparing to go back for our, well, be my fifth residency in Nairobi in January. And so we're doing a fundraiser. Uh, it's our first, um, the first one that we've done of this kind where we're, we've put out a call to art for artists, um, to do pieces, original artwork inspired by the tap dance shoe. And the name of the, the show is called soft shoe boom. And it's going to be at the Whitney Center for the Arts. It's going to open on the first Friday of, of October. And then we're going to have what we're calling an unsilent auction of the artwork on October 24th, which is going to be kind of a wild experience of um, auctioning off artwork with performance, um, something that we're kind of creating as we go here. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting. And so this is to uh, to benefit the work that you do in Nairobi. It's just to benefit all of our programs in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Okay, now yeah. why, why, why Nairobi? How did you how'd you get hooked up there? Um, you know, I was uh, I was in AmeriCorps at one time in my life, and I I made some very strong relationships. And one of those relationships is a very good friend of mine who was working for an NGO in Kenya, actually in Somalia, but her her work her office was in Nairobi, and. Um, she had been trying to get me to go over there and, and hang out with her and her daughter for years. And it just, just never was working out. And, and she just kind of was like, okay, um, you're coming. And she bought me a ticket and I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know? So, um, I, after a series of conversations with her and I sort of decided that I wanted to bring some tap shoes with me, um, just because I didn't really know what else I was going to do while I was there. <laughs> Um, cause I, you know, I'm a tap dance artist and, and a performer and educator. So, um, I thought, well, you know, I'll just bring some shoes. And I did a little bit of fundraising and, um, got a really great response from people, which I, I had no idea. And when I got there, I got hooked up with a really well-known musician, Eric Wanina, who was very thrilled to hear that I was there and that I was open to, um, you know, sharing, you know, my, my art and my craft with, with people there. And he hooked me up with a number of arts for social change organizations, which I started working for immediately. And it became very clear that there was really an avenue for this artwork there. And that, uh, this art form was really, um, something that people wanted and needed. And they also have, you know, a lot of the people that I was working with really had an understanding of, of the value of art in making social change. And, um, you know, I'm working with, you know, kids in, in the ghettos and in the industrial areas and um, street kids and, you know, and then, and then all the way to like, you know, professional contemporary dancers who are just so interested and fascinating in a new art form. Um, so 
yeah, there's so much more I could say about it, but <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's let's try to talk in October, and uh, yeah, and we'll we'll catch up again. But I, I did want to I wanted to give our, our our listeners a little bit of a preview of 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 that because that sounds really exciting. But I think that there's a thread that uh, runs through your work, and a lot of it has to do with calling attention to some realities that people may ignore, uh, and that is especially true. It sounds like with the magic is in the mechanism. Uh, these are things that you we pass every day mm-hmm. you know these places these spaces and these objects these yeah exactly mm-hmm. and to to call attention to them in the way you do shows us that uh art can be transformative and not just in some you know mind-blowing fashion but sometimes in a very uh everyday fashion mm-hmm. and, and i think that's exciting and i'm i can't wait to to see this this uh open rehearsal, which is uh, September 13th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. And it's going to be at the Morningside Community School. Yep, yep, in the parking lot. That's at 100 100 Burbank Street. Um, And that is in the the Tyler Street neighborhood, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, you've got some, you've got some, uh, the Tyler Street Business Group uh, has helped support this show. Um, they helped with the planning as well as the um, the Office of Cultural Development has helped, is aided in the planning of this as well. Um, and then the Pittsfield Cultural Council, which is a, a local council, part of the, the state council of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, is um, is supporting it as well. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that we live in an area where there's just so much support uh, for art that isn't solidly inside the mainstream. You know, uh, that there are individuals and organizations who get it. And they get it that it's the pushing out of boundaries that, that keeps culture vibrant and, and progressive and changing. And, uh, and I, I do encourage people to, to reach out to these individuals and organizations when they can and, and say thank you. Thank you for uh, helping to make it possible. And thank you, Stephanie Weber, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. We will look forward to seeing you in The Magic is in the Mechanism. In the meantime, if people want to find out more information, where can they go to get that? They can go to our Facebook page, um, which is Creatures of Habitat, Physical Poetry, Public Performance Project. I know that's a mouthful. Or they could go to my website, which is FertileUniverse.com. Or as they say in Nairobi, FertileUniverse.com. Well, they're spelled the same, and you can find those links in our show notes. Uh, for those of you who are listening uh, through, say, a subscription uh, via iTunes, remember that you can go to greenlockglass.com, find the the post uh, for this show, which is Indecent Exposure, and uh, and you can get all the information right there. Well, Stephanie, again, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a, a mesmerizing performance. And I, I encourage all listeners far and wide uh, to make their way to the Morningside Community School on Sunday, September 13th, and take in uh, some truly groundbreaking performance. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That sounds like a truly mind-expanding way to spend a, a Sunday evening uh in early autumn here in the Berkshires. Uh, I, I'm guessing, I'm thinking that um, we need to come up with, with an award for mind-expanding performances, art, music. Um, a, 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 it's a very special, indecent exposure, mind expa- the The rubber skull. Because if you're going to have your mind expanded that much, you better have a rubber skull. So, yeah, we may have to initiate the Rubber Skull Awards uh, for for mind-expanding acts in the Berkshires. We'll think about that. If you've got any that you know of, uh, pass the information along to me, and uh, we'll be sure to follow up with that. Now, remember, that's at the um, at the Morningside Community School, and you can... Get directions to that by going to the show notes that accompany this this podcast. Uh, and you can get to those by going to greylockglass.com. Find the, the entry, the post that corresponds with this show. 
It's episode 11 of Indecent Exposure. Click on that title uh, and it'll take you to the show notes. And if you scroll around, you will find uh, in bold, in kind of a reddish color, um, a link to to the uh, Morningside Community Schools website. So there's that. Now, next and lastly, I guess, since we're doing our one subject only uh, format, see how that goes. But we're still going to have music, um, every show possible. And I was going to wait a little bit before putting more Wishbone Zoe on uh, because I've, I played quite a bit. And I could I could play Wishbone Zoe every single episode, but I would run out of tunes, and I was thinking I'd wait and give give her a chance to uh, to come up with a new album, so we don't run out. Um, but but see, here's the thing: I just found out that uh, Wishbone Zoe will be playing uh, at the Williamstown Film Festival, the Wind Up Festival. Uh, here in Williamstown in October, do I know how to pick them or what? Sarah Kohansky, who is Wishbone Zoe, will be in town. She'll be in the house as part of the non-film activities during the festival. And um, and I couldn't be happier because I want to turn on everybody uh, to, to Sarah's music that I possibly can. So we're going to play a deeper track called O. Oh spelled O-H as in O, uh, from uh, Wishbone Zoe's most recent release. Uh, it was this year, uh, this, earlier this summer, Fossil's Dream. Uh, so let's listen to O from Fossil's Dream right now.
Looking at the Wishbone Zoe website, I see that that there is a new video out for the tune Gumbo Jumbo, which we have played here at the Greylock Glass. I don't remember if it was on Indecent Exposure or Will Call, but either way, it's it's quite it's possibly my favorite tune off off that album. Um that's Fossil's Dream, released earlier this year. Uh, you can check out this video in the show notes at greylocklast.com. It's uh, find the post to this ep- episode, episode eleven, and uh, scroll down uh, below the the piece about uh, the magic is in the mechanism, and there'll be the embedded video as well as a link to Wishbone Zoe's uh, album and site. So do check those out as well. That's our show for this week. I want to thank you for indulging us in our our bad habit of podcasting once again. I am your host, Jason Velasquez, known in an alternate universe as The Mongrel, but don't tell anybody. This has been the show for Friday, September 11th, 2015. Catch us again next week. Uh, probably a little earlier, maybe like Tuesday or Wednesday. Alrighty, take care. Bye bye.